what happens. We are session six of uh, what will be eight weeks talking about leadership, but we're looking at it really from a little bit of a, of a different perspective. We knew that the first week when we started by talking about humility as one of the key characteristics of leadership. And then we've talked about all sorts of things and characteristics that you would associate with leadership, vision, and, and uh, all those type of things. Uh, today we talk about what's the responsibility of the leader, or put it another way, maybe what's the duty uh, of the leader. And as we, as we look at that, let me emphasize one more time to you that you are all leaders. Anybody who has somebody following them or watching them as a leader. And, and I really do mean that. I, if, if you say to somebody you're coming to a, a study like this, I was just standing out there and just kind of greeting a few of you came in and somebody came off, off the uh, escalator and you can always tell they kind of look around and they're a little lost and I said, are you, are you uh, looking for the Bible study? No. I said, are you looking for the restaurant? Yes. Well, the restaurant's down here. And you can see that response. Well, the minute you say a Bible study or a church or something like this, a, the Good Friday breakfast, whatever those things are, the minute you say to somebody, I'm going to this or would you like to go or whatever that is, the minute you say that, they begin to watch you. And at that point, though you may not have a card that says leader, you may not have the title that says leader, you become a leader. You're a leader if somebody's watching you're a leader if somebody's following. Now, as we get into this today, at least initially, I, I want to give you some things that are interesting. On your outline, you're going to have a very frustrating day on your outline because the entire left column, you're going to fill in none of that. Okay? <laughs> and on the right column, there's one thing that's missing. And I remember last time, six years ago after I taught this, I said, I need to correct that. So now I need to make a note. I need to correct this for six years from now. What, what, what we did to begin with what was look at CEOs. Now, I know you're saying I'm not a CEO here, or maybe you are. There might be a few of you that are running businesses, and that'd be really helpful. But we're talking about the boss here. You may sit around and have a cup of coffee and talk about what you like or don't like about your job, but you ever wonder about the boss? Let me give you a couple of things here, and they're just statistics. You don't need to write them down, but there's a subtle point in here that I want to make. They asked the CEOs, they had 100 of them, what do you like best about your job? 16% said building a team. 15% said working with good people. 12% said they like the autonomy. 12% the challenge. 11% the variety. Uh, only 8% said they liked having a long-term impact. And then, and then it just kind of whittled down from there. Here's the thing. What do you dislike about your job? 26% of the CEOs said what they dislike most about their job is paperwork. 25% said managing problem people. So you could take their job dislikes, and half of them have to deal with paperwork and personnel problems. And that's probably true anywhere. 10% uh, said uh, the headquarters, relationships there. 8% said they don't have any dislikes at all. 8% said long hours, then travel. Here's what I thought was interesting, and I want to talk about it. Even though it doesn't directly relate to what we're, we're going to look at today, it, it, it's important. They did this. They then said, what did you think the job would be, and what is it really? So what we're talking about now are expect expectations and reality. In every per we have talked about this ad nauseum in here. When expectations are undefined, and all of a sudden you're just living life, you can almost unconsciously do this process where the expectations and the reality don't match up, and you're frustrated and you can't explain it. 
when you do explain it, now you understand frustration. This is really interesting. They said to them, what'd you think you would do? They said they thought a third of their time would be spent on planning. In fact, it was about 23%. They thought 42% of their time would be spent with people. It was actually about a third. They thought they'd spend about 10% of their time planning and administration. In fact, they're spending 18% of their time there. They thought they'd spend 10% of their time with the customers, and, and they're spending 4%. They didn't think they'd spend any time on paperwork, and they're spending 5% of their time. That's where I want to go. Remember, their number one dislike. What do I dislike most about my old job? Paperwork. Well, you must be thinking, they must be bogged down in paperwork. They're spending 5% of their time on it. Now, part of it is expectation and reality. I didn't expect to do it, now I am. And the other thing is, these guys aren't wired to do paperwork. It, it, it blows me away. I don't understand it. And I watch business after business after business do it. Company, company, company do it, or school do it with kids, or parents do it with their children. Listen, you can't take the guy that's the best salesman and make him the sales manager. What makes him a good salesman is what keeps him from being a good sales manager. A manager needs to organize, operate, move, paperwork, drive. A salesman's going, I don't know. You bet we shipped it. Did we ship it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think so. It'll be out in a week. We're close. It's that I saw a guy. We had a guy in one of our studies, and the guy disappears. Just don't see him. And he was very faithful. And I don't track people down. I mean, I don't, I'm not a babysitter here. So I run into him in the mall one day. And I'm talking to him, and, I, and he said, I haven't been at your thing in months. I said, I know that. I said, you're doing all right? He said, no, I'm not doing all right. I said, what's the problem? He said, I'm the best worker our company's ever had. In the plant, I was the guy. We could make this widget. I knew how to make it. I knew how, I was the best guy. He said, they made me a manager. And he said, I can't, I can't do it. I go in the back. I see them all doing things wrong. I get in. I start to, I'm a lousy manager. All I want to do is go back into the plant. And I said, have you told him that? And he said, no, I don't want to, I don't want to quit. And I'm afraid they'll fire me, and I'm not a failure. I'm just in the wrong spot. That's a big deal. And I've learned, there's one thing about Party Living is the greatest organization in the world. It is a single cell operation. It is very simple. There's nothing complex about what we do. But there's one part of, of Party Living I hate. I can't stand these tapes and CDs. I hate them. And about six years ago, it was driving me nuts. I, and all I have to do is take the tape and give it to somebody and then go pick up the boxes. It's not that hard. And then bring them in. I can't, but it's driving me crazy. I can't, I hate it. I just absolutely hate it. And one day the colonel said to me, I'd like to help you out. Is there anything that you're doing that you don't like? I said, Al, I hate these tapes. I hate them. I never want to see another tape as long as I live. And he said, don't ever worry about it again. And literally, when I'm done, he takes the tape, and then the next thing I know, they're in my trunk. It's that kind of thought process, and that, that is not a lot to do with our lesson, but it's very helpful for you identifying your life and seeing, look, God's made you unique and different. You see it with your kids. 
I mean, one of your kids, they're just wired this way. They're ready to go. They're gregarious. They're made to be this. Another one isn't. And you've got to let that kid be that kid and nurture them. Don't try to, don't try to take them and make them miserable. Well, here's the person we're looking at today. We're going to talk about responsibility. We're going to look, if you have your Bibles, open them to Exodus chapter 18. We're going to look at a guy who's got a huge job. His name is Moses. We're going to look at Moses, and then we're going to meet his father-in-law. Some of you didn't even know you knew him. You thought he was a Beverly Hill, one of the Beverly Hillbillies, but he isn't. We're going to meet his father-in-law, and his name is Jethro. We're going to meet him today. Let me remind you of Moses' job. He's got two million Jews that he's moving to the promised land. Now think about this. I was listening uh, uh, the other day on the television. They're talking about the logistics of supporting 200,000 troops in, in the Gulf. They're saying just the food and the moving around. That's, that's, that's a tenth of the number of the people that Moses has here. Moses has got two million people that he's moving. In chapter 18 of Exodus, they're now in the process of this move. And let me read a little bit to you, just so you get a flavor of it. And I'll move around through the chapter. But we we're introduced to Jethro. He is Moses' father-in-law. And he comes to visit. Verse 5, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came down with the sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was camped at the Mount of, of God. And he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and uh, your two sons with her. And now Moses receives him. They come. They're there for a while. Uh, Jethro gets a great report on, on what's happening. Uh, verse 9, Jethro rejoices over all the goodness which the Lord has done in Israel and delivering them out of the hand of the Egyptians. So Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of Pharaoh and who delivered the people from under the hand of Egypt. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it is proven that he has dealt proudly uh, against the people. Then, jo uh, Jer I'm sorry. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering, makes a sacrifice. It comes the next day that Moses sat in judgment uh, of the people. Now, here's what's happening now. Mo uh, Jethro has come. They've had that discussion. They've talked about what's going on. And, and now, here's Jethro. He's looking for a little something to do. He's kind of putzing around and trying to find something. So Moses said, why don't you go to work with me? Why don't you come with me for the day? So that's exactly what he does. Verse 13, Exodus chapter 18. And it came the next day that Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood about Moses from morning until evening. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what, this thing, what is this thing you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? And all the people stand about you from morning until evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me and inquire of me. When they have a dispute, it comes to me. And I judge between a man and his neighbor and make known the statutes of God and his law. Verse 17, And Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing you are doing is not good. Why is it not good? See, this is the right guy. Moses is the right guy. 
And he's doing the right thing. That's what God's called him to do. But he's going about it the wrong way. You can have the right guy doing the right thing, but if it's not being done the right way, something's wrong. He said, here's the plain, simple truth. Verse 18, you will wear yourself out. Not only yourself, but the people as well. The task is too heavy. You can't do it alone. You as a leader, and we're gonna have, you're going to have to work with me here because you're going to have to do some of the work of application. I can't possibly apply this to all the different areas of your life. I'm going to talk a lot about parenting, but it may be in the area of parenting. It may be in the office. You as a leader have, an, have responsibility. You're not made to go at this work of life alone and especially in a position of authority. He said, listen, you can't go it alone. There's some things you need to do. And that's what we're going to look at. We're on the right-hand side of your outline, and there's a bullet point and then a blank that needs to be filled in. Let's start at the top. The bullet point on the first thing, supplication. Supplication. Leaders are responsible for praying for the people. In this case, in Exodus chapter 18, verse 19, Jethro says this, Listen now to me, and I will give you advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to Him. Now, this is not the economy that we operate under today. By that I mean we no longer need an emissary to go to God. As Christians, born-again, evangelical, fundamental, orthodox Christians, we have direct access to the Father. Remember when Jesus dies on the cross, the curtain in the temple is torn, remember? And it was torn from what? From top to bottom. It was a symbol that God had torn that curtain, not that man had. And that there's no more, there's no more barrier between you and, and me and God. We can go directly to Him. We don't have to pray to some saint to intervene for us. Or we don't have to have some human intervene for us. We have direct access to God. And what Moses is saying is, you need to be God's representative to the people. What would we pray for? I say to you, you're responsible to pray. Well, obviously, if you have kids, you have all sorts of things you're going to pray for. If you're dealing in a business situation, what is it that you need? Let me tell you what I think you need. Wisdom. We live in the information age. We've got more information, 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 information everywhere. They, are, they told me the other day that they're, they're working on, on my laptop and they're loading it up. And they're telling me, we're sitting in my office, and I've got three bookcases there loaded with books. And they said, we're in the process of taking essentially everything that's in this one bookcase and it'll be on your laptop when we're done here. And you'll have the ability to open three or four of these. And this is where it comes in handy is in studying. So you've got the scripture in front of you. You've got a commentary here. You've got Bible dictionaries. You've got three or four other translations around you. You'll have them on the screen. You'll be able to cut and paste. You will literally be able to do in about 60 seconds what's taking you 15 minutes to do. Well, all I need to do is teach this thing how to teach, and I'm done. This is perfect. <laughs> It's the information age. Everybody's got information. We don't need more information. We need wisdom. Now, God says this. If you lack wisdom, all you got to do is ask. 
So what might you be praying for? Well, these people that you're leading, you might pray for wisdom. Have you thought about that? Maybe you're the boss. Have you been praying for the people in your office? Maybe you own the business. Have you been praying for the people that work for you? The family, whatever it is. First responsibility, prayer. Here's the second point. Bullet point, education. Education. Leaders are responsible for teaching the rules. Here's what, here's what Jethro says. Jethro says, teach them the decrees and the law. Now, I want to make a point. The last thing I want to do in any way, shape, or form is insult you. Okay, I'm not out to insult you. I, I, but I want to make this point, and it's so basic that you might miss it. it it's so basic that it, that, it, that it easily can fly under the radar screen and never even get spoken. So let me just say it so you get your arms around it. If I'm going to teach them the decrees and the laws, then there must be rules and regulations. I don't want to let that go for right now. It's not just teach them. He's saying teach them God's decrees and God's law. Teach them the truth. Uh, Tuesday night on Larry King, uh, MacArthur was on there. Max Licato was on there. I don't know if any of you saw it. And uh, 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 a, a Methodist uh, bishop was on there. Uh, a Catholic priest and uh, somebody, oh, Bob Jones, Bob Jones III. And they're, and they're having this discussion about God and war, what's God's view on war and all these different things. And, and those are fine, but always in that discussion, when, when King's doing it, we'll get down to the idea of salvation in heaven. Well, once they got there, now they're saying, listen, do, do you believe, you, mu you must believe uh, that, that yours is the true faith. And of course, MacArthur's saying, well, yeah, sure I do. I believe this is true, and this is the way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The, the, the Methodist bishop could not have been worse. He said, my God is so big that he can save anybody in any religion through any religion. Well, this is just goofy. This is just goofy. And essentially, the Catholic priest said exactly the same thing. I'm not going to limit God. I'm not, good. You don't have to limit God. God limits himself. God can't act contrary to his nature. We'll get to, can God do anything and everything? No. God can't sin. God cannot act contrary to his nature. And he can't take a sinner who's unrepentant and forgive him and let him into heaven. There are rules and regulations. There is a way, and it's a narrow way. It's a hard way. Here you go. It's this. It's not Tom's way. It's God's way. Here's what he says. And it's either, it's either true or it isn't. If it's true, it's true. If it isn't, it isn't. Now, you shouldn't have to write that down, but we've lost track of that anymore. I mean, when this guy says, Jesus is my Lord and my Savior, then either he is the Lord and Savior. You see that? Now, my responsibility is to teach this stuff. That's what he says. It's education. It's to come along. It's not to take anything for granted. I'm talking to a friend, and he relays this story to me. If you're in management here, and I don't mean necessarily, only, you have people working for you, this is a great illustration. This guy runs into his buddy, and his buddy, he said, how you doing? He said, terrible. I've got to fire my receptionist today. 
And he said, oh, that's, that's hard. I know it's hard. He said, what's the problem? He goes, supposed to be there at 8, shows up at 8.10. He said, I, 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 she dresses in jeans and T-shirts, and she's our out front person. I give her special projects to do. She just files them. He said, oh, man, that's tough. He said, what is, here's what he said. Here's the, here's the question he asked. What did she say when you talked to her about it? He said, well, I never talked to her about it. I just assumed that if she's, you know, if she, everybody knows if it's 8 o'clock. He said, oh, you might talk to her. Doesn't see the guy, forgets the conversation, runs into him about three months later. He said, how's work? He said, great. He said, how's the reception? He said, I got the greatest receptionist in the world. He said, oh, wow, where'd you find her? He goes, no, 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 it's the same gal. And he said, well, what happened? He said, well, I went into her and I said, hey, you know, I'm going to have to let you go here. And she said, why? And I said, well, because you're supposed to be here at 8 and you get here at 810. And she said, well, there isn't anybody here at 8 and I showed up one day at 810 and nobody said anything. So I figured that was all right. She said, if you want me here at 8 o'clock, I'll show up at 8 o'clock. He said, all right. He said, I got a couple other things. He said, you can't dress like that. And she said, well, everybody in the back dresses like that. So I just figured that's the, the course. She said, I used to work in a high rise downtown. I got business suits. You want me to wear business suits? Yeah. Well, then I'll wear a business suit. He said, listen, you get these special projects of mine and you just find me. Don't do anything with them. And she said, well, you give me these things and say, hey, these are special projects. I don't know what to do with a special project. And all of a sudden, he realized he never taught her the fundamental basics of the job. This goes for kids. This goes in every area of your life. As a leader, you're responsible for the communication of the rules and regs. And again, it's an iffy deal here. I'm not a huge education guy. But was, I think it was Mark Twain that said, I never let school interfere with my education. It's that kind of a thought process. We can educate and educate and educate and educate, but it is important for us. And I want to, one other thing, I'll go to the third point. One other thing, what I just said is about as basic as it can be. You don't need to make this stuff difficult. We have complicated life to such a degree that, that, that we've made everything complex. I've told this story a billion times, but I'm watching the Golf Channel one night, and Arnold Palmer's talking about teaching his grandson golf. Now, I mean, I, that's pretty cool. I'm taking, I'm taking golf lessons from my grandpa, Arnold. And his grandson's asking him about swing planes and wrist angles, and he said, look at, look at, look at, set up right, Grip it right and swing it. Just swing it through. He said, we got all this complex stuff. We've made everything way too difficult. Here's the third bullet point. Demonstration. Leaders are, to, are responsible for modeling the lifestyle. Show them the way to live. He said, you teach them these things. Now that you've taught it to them, now you show it. The messenger is as important as the message. Here you go. Here's a great statistic. I have no idea where I got it, and I have no clue if it's accurate, but it sure fits the illustration. 85% of education in elementary school is the teacher, not the curriculum. Once a student is in there, in about the third grade, the number one influence in their life is the teacher. It's the model. It's the demonstration. I had a guy that came to see me the other day with some concerns about me, and his concern was, I think you talk uh, too much about television 
and about different things, and I think you, I think you're setting up people that that, that there's a lifestyle here that's that's contrary to biblical lifestyle. And I said, okay, well, I, I need to take a look at that. I do watch a lot of television, okay? but but I don't think you need to equate television with with survival. I've never seen survivors. I don't know what it's about. I watched a brain surgery the other night, okay? Not, I mean, it's not a nail biter. I guess if you're the guy, it is. But, but it's not something that's going to just rock you all over. But there's a lot of stuff on there. This is about information. But here's what he's saying to me, and it was very important, is everybody's watching everything. You understand that? They're watching you. You demonstrate this to them. Is anybody going to sign up for a marriage seminar, How to Keep Your Marriage Together, by Elizabeth Taylor? I mean, ain't anybody going to go to this? Or J-Lo? We're going to go to J-Lo or Bill Clinton on ethics in the office? Who's going to go to this thing? I mean, nobody cares. And they may give you great information. But the messenger. See, you've got to get control. You have to understand. As a leader, they're watching. And let me tell you a dirty little secret. And a majority of them are hoping you screw up. They want you to fall. They want you to screw up. Because now, you're no longer an obstacle to them. Now they can say, you're just like everybody else. That's why when that lie comes out that the Christian divorce rate is the same as that in the, in the world, that, that, the world loves that. That is not true. There is no way that's true. It may be equal among people who go to church, but you don't think that everybody who goes to church is a Christian, do you? It's like everybody who tees it up on Monday at, at Tempe Muni is a golfer. They're not golfers. They're out playing golf, but they're not golfers, are they? You see that? You demonstrate this. Here's the fourth thing. Bullet point, application. Application. Leaders are responsible for assigning the responsibilities. He's building this case. He said, teach him these decrees and laws. Show him the way to live. Show him what to do. Show him the duties they are to perform. Now you begin to make some assignments. Here's a great statistic. 80% of American workers say they're underworked. I believe that's true, by the way. All the offices I was ever in, I never saw anybody working at 100%. I saw people putting in long hours. They might be there 10 or 12 hours, but they're only doing six hours of work. I saw a study that, that they did in a business where indeed this guy grabbed this, said it's true, went out. He had 10 people working for him. He fired two of them. The other eight did more work. They were more satisfied. It was more profitable. I don't think people are just lazy looking for a way to not work. But, it, but the system almost is created that way. Apply them. Show them what to do. Tell them what to do. Here you go. Two more points. Fifth point, it's multiplication. And this picks up on the idea. Here's what Jethro says. Select capable men from among all the people, men who fear God, Trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. Let me stop there for a second. They hate dishonest gain, even if it's legal dishonest gain. I I'm going to sound here like some sort of a, a sniveling wimp liberal, and I don't want to do that. But, but it, I think there's something. This is just me. 
I, there's something to me that, that I find morally repugnant when you got a CEO that's run the stock and the company into the ground, and now you're going to pay this guy millions of dollars to go away. Or some guy that's not turned this thing profitable, and he's taken home millions and millions and millions. I think there's something wrong there. That's just me. I think there is legal dishonest gain. But he said, you find somebody here who's a God-fearing man, who, who uh, hates dishonest gain. Now, here's the important point. And appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. So you see, here's how it's building. Teach them the rules. Show them how to do it. Begin to assign them tasks. And you're going to take this guy and give him ten guys. And this guy and give him 50. And this guy and give him 100. And this guy and give him 1,000. Two points. Number one, that acknowledges we aren't all equal. We aren't all equal. Now, we're equal in God's eyes, right? And we're equal under the law, right? Absolutely. But we're not all equal in ability. <laughs> Are we? I mean, when I, when, I, when I turn on the television, I don't look at Michael Jordan and me and say, oh, we're two equal people when it comes to basketball. It's just not, it's not the case. We're not equal. And to try to make everybody equal is to run contrary just to the fact of creation. We're not all equal in abilities and talents and gifts. It's just the way it is. Here's the second thing. Not everybody, since we're not equal, can handle similar tasks. If you take, I want to show you something here I, I think is, I like it. If you take somebody that can handle 10 people and you assign them 100, they can't do the job, can they? They don't have the ability, they don't have the capacity, they don't have the skill, they don't have the technique, they don't have the knowledge. Let me give you the flip side. And we don't often think of this. If you take a guy that can handle 1,000 and you give him 10, he's frustrated by midday on Monday. His mind is racing. His talent is there. It's way beyond the job. But here's what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. Listen, Moses, remember the background? We got an issue here. You got a job. You're going to kill yourself. The work is way too hard. You don't need to be doing all this stuff. Here's what you need to do. You need to delegate. This is what we hear all the time. Delegate, delegate, delegate. In fact, that's our last point. Bullet point, delegation. Leaders are responsible to share the load. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times. But have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they decide. That will make your, here you go, listen to this. That will make your load lighter. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with having a lighter load. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know what? I'm not exhausted at the end of the day. There's nothing wrong with working smart. You're in a position. We're focused now. I'm going to stay on work for now. We're focused in the work situation. We understand as we look around that there are people who have different abilities. Some of them are wired to operate a hundred or a thousand people. Some ten. Some can barely watch out for themselves. There is nothing noble about killing yourself in the process of work. I want to go back to this. Moses is God's guy. God called Moses to this job. Moses is going and doing the right thing. He's judging the people, but he's not doing it in the most effective way. If you're a leader, you have responsibility. And one of the responsibilities is to develop the people under you.
This is energize the people under you. I, I'm talking to a guy. I run into this all the time. I'm talking to a guy because my question now is, what are you going to do this summer? I mean, once it gets this warm, I'm thinking about summer vacation. What are you going to do this summer? Where are you going to go? You going to go up to the mountains? You know, the guy says, you know what? I haven't had a vacation in five years. Okay, hang on now. That's stupid. That's dumb. Why would you not have a vacation in five years? Even if you love what you're doing, you need to get away from it to get recharged. Now, my view on vacation has changed. I used to think all year about those two weeks so that I could get away and do whatever it is. Now, I want to go away literally to recreate myself so I can come back and work harder, smarter, better. Very important point. God drops in these doctrinal truths to us generally in the New Testament and gives us these great illustrations in the Old Testament. And Jethro and Moses may be great illustration for you. You may be just like Moses. You may be that you're slugging along, the right person doing the right thing, but you're killing yourself doing it. Here's what he's saying. You need to start to pray for those people. You need to start to look around and demonstrate to people how to live. You need to start to assign these things, delegate these things, and begin to allow people to be the people God designed them to be. Let me close it with parenting. The same principles are true in parenting. Sarah came to me one day. I think Sarah was about 15 at the time. And, she, and, and I said, how are you doing? She said, I'm fine. And I said, well, you don't sound fine. She said, Dad, I just want to grow up. I, I just want to grow up. I just want to be an adult. I said, oh, Sarah, okay, I understand that, and, and I'm, I'm for you. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start treating you like an adult a, a, a lot of the time. I'm going to let you screw up a whole bunch of things, but I'm not going to let you screw up any big things. And it was interesting. At that moment, she began to change. So I would say, this is back when she was dating. Remember Nick? This is back when we were dating Nick. So they'd come in and, and, and they'd say, uh, what time do you want us home, Mr. Schrader? And I would say, well, what time do you think you should be home, Nick? <laughs> and he'd say, well, I'd, I, 11.15. I'd say, okay, that'd be good. See, I would have said 12 or 12.30. But old Nick knew 11.15 was the right time. All of a sudden now, you're beginning to raise those kids to release them. I'm getting now, because my girls are at the point where now Haley's married, Sarah's moving out of the house here in another few months. I'm getting a lot of people with kids saying, I don't know, I don't know, I'm worried about my kids, I want to hold on to my kids, I'm, they're scared. You don't need to be scared. You, you train them, you set boundaries, you pray for them, you let them see a real converted life, and then God takes care of the rest of the stuff. That's the way it is. Can't follow them around. You can't make them something they aren't. If look at, if all that, be smart though. If you got a kid and this kid says, listen, I just want to run a, a yogurt store and a shirt shack over on the beach. Don't spend a quarter of a million dollars sending them to Brown to school. <laughs> You're better off taking that and buying shirt inventory for him than anything else. <laughs> Use your head and, and get your ego out of the way. It's not so cool to sit at the club and they say, Where, where's Biff now? Well, Biff is at Brown. That sounds really good. It's not so cool to say, well, Biff, Biff is a, an assistant manager of the yogurt store and, and he's running. It doesn't matter, men and women. If Biff is happy doing what God's called him to be and gifted, then I don't care what he's doing. 
And the only thing stopping him there, and I will say this in close, is your ego. At that point, it's all about you. It's not even about what's best for the kid. So leadership, it translates into all of those areas. And the fundamental principles are always the same. People are watching. You can't be, people hate hypocrites. Teach them, educate them, release them, let them go. Develop them, that's your responsibility. Next week we look at this issue of boldness in this whole process. We'll pick up right there next week. Father, thank you for the truth. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jethro and Moses. We look at these, uh, these two guys, and, and when we, we boil away all, all of the problems that we have, just as, as looking back over thousands of years, and we look at just the human dilemma, <laughs> it's as fresh as, as today's problems in the office. God, thank you for giving us models, for teaching us, for giving us truths. Well, as we leave this place, help us understand that we're leaders. And we need to pray for those that are following us, those that are watching us. That we need to demonstrate and teach principles and rules and regulations and especially your truth. God, thanks for the men and women that are here today. And I, and I pray that you use this time to, to touch their life. That they take a single truth out of this, something that you use to, to touch their minds, to remind them of something that they've known but have uh, kind of neglected, or to teach them something brand new. God, let us be wise like Jethro, hardworking like Moses. God, let us be your kids doing your work the right way for the right reason. Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. We love you because of Jesus, and we pray to you in his name. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next week.